Welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber, and I am sitting here with James Harkin, Anna Chazinski, and Andrew Hunter-Murray. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with fact number one, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that the White House's Oval Office is a giant weighing scale. Okay. Mm. What do they use it for normally? Weighing the president. No. <laughs> to see how heavy he is. No, it's not. <laughs> that's it's, why you weigh things. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. it's to see that he's there full stop. So right. the Secret Service need to monitor where the president is at all times. However, they're not allowed into the Oval Office. He doesn't want them in there, so they have to stand outside. Now, when the doors open, they can see where he is. But when the doors shut, they can't see where the president is. So if you look at pictures of the Oval Office, there is a giant oval carpet that r- literally spans the entire office room except for a few inches to the wall. And underneath it are weighing pads that are connected to a line that goes outside so the uh, Secret Service can see where he is in the Oval Office purely by where he's standing. I think I would get a load of objects that weighed exactly the same as me and just keep moving them around the office just to wind up the Secret Service. Like Indiana Jones at the beginning of the first film. Yeah. (laughs) But it's kind of like if you've seen Harry Potter, the Marauder's Map, where they just follow the footsteps on the map. That's what the Secret Service have to have. Except it's not a Marauder's Map because the things aren't labelled as the president. It's just someone who weighs roughly the same amount (laughs) as the president, right? So it's definitely Obama's in the Oval Office or someone who is also human-sized is in the Oval Office. Yeah, or two people in the Oval Office. Um, It's just a way of making sure that no one kidnaps him through a window, maybe. Why aren't they the Oval Office? Uh, I don't know, actually. This is this is a fact which I haven't seen in many places. It's from Brad Meltzer, <laughs> who is a best-selling novelist, but also works at the White House and gives tours. And he did a Huffington Post piece where he said, here is Secret Service secrets. And uh, that was the top one. Because he yeah. invites lots of randomers into the Oval Office. I'd be a bit insulted as his Secret Service if I wasn't allowed in. Well, I think it's more, they're probably allowed in at some point. I don't think it's like a total ban on Secret Service oh, okay, people. Yeah. I think when he's working on a day-to-day basis, yeah. he doesn't want Secret Service mm. people Let's say they're doing something really important, which is quite classified, and only the people who need to know are in there, so the other guys just stood outside like playing cards or something. Yes. Do, you think, do you think if he puts on a bit of weight, they start giving him sly looks? Because <laughs> they know. <laughs> are you sure about that biscuit, Mr. President? <laughs> <laughs> this article by Brad Meltzer also mentions that anytime we hear about the White House going under renovations of an old room, it's actually that the Secret Service are conducting an investigation, and it's the only way of giving an excuse to allow for the first family to be out of the White House while right. renovations are going on, but it actually means they're conducting an investigation. Is that right? It this can't is, always be that. No, no, but I think <laughs> there's been a few cases. It's a sort of like inside knowledge thing that if there's an investigation by the Secret Service, they will say currently under sure. renovation. What are they investigating that needs, that needs the president to be away? I don't, it's hard to research them because they're quite open about some things, but then other <laughs> things are surprisingly secret I, about. It is surprising, isn't it? <laughs> bizarre that they would want to keep anything from us. It's yeah. controversial. Is, are they telling the truth? Is the author telling the truth? We know a bit too much about the Secret Service, it seems, recently. Yeah, it would just be called the service. Mm. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. The open service. Yeah. <laughs> 
you know we have a lot of presidents and leaders who like exercise and like jogging mm. obviously when they go out on a jog they have to be accompanied by their little secret service cabal who have to jog with them and so for instance there was an article I think this was in the Atlantic by someone who'd been in the secret service under Clinton and he said it was a complete nightmare because Clinton yeah. loved running and they, they even built him his own little running track inside the White House grounds but he didn't like it he liked to be out there with the people so whenever Clinton went for a run a bunch of them all had to go for a run as well <laughs> no but way. not just for a run they had to go for a run carrying like all their guns and weapons and wow. be, be super alert and always be ready to attack someone mm. if they attack the president and so it sounds like That's absolute amazing. hell imagine if Mo Farah became president <laughs> 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 oh my gosh who would you that's that's true there are five people disqualify from being president and they're the five fastest people in the world because surely you need five people faster than the president yeah. but Mo's not in the five fastest people in the world is well, he for, for running distances which is what yeah. Clinton was doing I mean it's hardly Usain Bolt <laughs> becomes president and <laughs> <laughs> you can only run 100 metres <laughs> or 200 metres yeah. what trouble could he get in but he will, he will be able to get away because at least the Secret Service can bus in more people to start running after uh, the first 5,000 metres that so Mo, President Farah has been running so when President Farah is <laughs> running what they'll do is they'll all be running in like a relay yeah. <laughs> and they, they pass the gun yeah. <laughs> um yeah uh they they do have to it's it's quite funny when you look into sort of odd little things that they have to prepare for in the safety of a president like clinton uh going for his runs so do you remember that famous incident where george bush uh swallowed a pretzel yeah. and started choking mm -hmm. yeah. on it um, apparently that was a thing that they had to try and work out how to avoid from ever happening again. Because so th did they all like suck the pretzels? <laughs> suck all the pretzels first. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, what do you do in that situation? So the you only just thing elect a new president eventually. <laughs> <laughs> The only thing uh, that they could come up with was a sort of emergency push button, which I assumed he should have had anyway. What, the pretzel uh, button? No, it's not exclusively for pretzel. If he's, if he chokes Is it on pretzel a bit shaped? Of I hope they made it pretzel <laughs> shaped. Uh, um, some of the presidential secret service things oh, i read yeah. mm -hmm. i read in one book um called personality character and leadership in the white house don't know if it's true um that gerald ford whenever he farted would blame the secret service who are around him god <laughs> 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 god jesus guys can you keep a bit of decorum that's amazing <laughs> apparently that's true i guess that's true. There was, who was the um we spoke about this before on the podcast there was one president i think it was johnson who would just if he was taking a piss would just urinate on the Secret Service member and say, I can do this, I'm the president. I think, yeah. I think the story went something like, it was LBJ, wasn't it? And I think what happened was he went for a piss on the side of the road when they were driving somewhere and they kind of did like a human wall around him and then there's like a gust of wind and it blew the pee onto one <laughs> oh, of the guys so he and he said, excuse me, Mr. President, you're peeing on me. And he said, well, it's my prerogative to do that. I think that's what the story is anyway. Okay. It makes him good. slightly less unpleasant than deliberately weeing on his... <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Every time he needs to he calls one of them into the office. <laughs> uh, there was an assassination attempt that was made on Ronald Reagan. And uh, it was made by John Hinckley Jr. And um, one of the Secret Service guys, a guy called Jerry Parr, is the guy who got Ronald Reagan into the limousine and got him off to, uh, and noticed that he, blood was coming out of his mouth and said, we need to get to the hospital right now. Uh, so he's, he's said to have saved Ronald Reagan's life. Um, interestingly, he became a Secret Service officer because he had watched a movie called Code of the Secret Service years before, which starred Ronald Reagan as a oh, Secret Service guy. No. no way! Yeah, so he ended up saving the life of the guy who got him into it through... So Ronald Reagan saved his own life in a way. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> wow. True. That's incredible. Yeah, That's really that amazing? cool. That'd make a good movie in itself, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
Just one thing about the British Secret Services, uh, which I thought was interesting. So during the Second World War, they obviously requisitioned a load of, you know, country houses and castles and things like that and stately homes. And one place they had was in Scotland. It was called Inverlair Lodge, and it was used for spies who weren't good enough to spy, but had already learned too much secret information <laughs> to be allowed to leave. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Yeah. Wow. And they had to stay there for the rest of the war. One of them, one unfortunate man who had signed up to spy, he was refused uh, leave to actually go and spy in the field because apparently he was outstandingly ugly. So there was a report which said he'd be recognised anywhere, once seen, <laughs> never forgotten. He has no teeth at all <laughs> except two gold tusks and two incisors. <laughs> Poor man. <laughs> but they must they must have been as well. Like by the time they all left, everyone would have known the secrets that they were meant to be keeping as well. Yeah. You, oh, how come you're here? Well, I, I got told this thing about. <laughs> There's one guy going, no, come on, Mike. <laughs> Okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that because male bumblebees rely on sight to find females, they sometimes find themselves chasing after aeroplanes. <laughs> <laughs> so presumably their eyesight is not very good. Um, well, it's good. it's good for an insect, <laughs> but it's not good for like an eagle. Oh, okay. okay. Um, bumblebees do have kind of good eyesight, um, as in they can see lots of colours. Yeah. Um, they people didn't realize they could see colors, and then Carl Frisch is it called? That guy who worked out that they did the waggle dance. He's quite a famous scientist. Oh, wow. um, oh, yeah, he got he, a Nobel Prize for that, didn't he? Yeah, and he did um, an experiment where he proved that they could see colors by getting loads of gray, um, like gray card, and then one colored card, and always put the food on the colored one. They could always tell where it was. So they do have color sight. They so are you saying we need things. to stop painting our aeroplanes stripy black and yellow? <laughs> <laughs> well, there is well, a, we do a stripy black and yellow aeroplane, and it is the smallest aeroplane that has flown. Is it the size of a bee it's called the bumblebee it's a bit bigger it's uh it's eight foot uh ten inches in length and the wingspan is five foot six and it's tiny it's it's only one person so small yeah it's a biplane as well yeah it's i mean you it does not look like it should get off the ground it doesn't the wings are so small that you shouldn't think it has enough lift it it looks it looks like your car has just had some wings um, and not even as big as your car because it fits five people in a car this yeah this is my arm span it's six inches shorter than my arm span across the whole plane wingtip to wingtip looking at that despite the fact that that's black and yellow and is the smallest plane i still think bees are idiots if they look (laughs) at something that size and think it's genuinely a bee do they chase after the plane once it's in flight or is there a lot of bees at Heathrow. <laughs> <laughs> it's in flight. So I got this from a, a newsletter of the Bee Conservation Society. It's all about how bees um, fight, how male bees find the queens. And there are different ways of doing it. One way that they do it is by all load of males kind of leave their smells around in a certain area, their pheromones, and they kind of do it as a gang and they put loads and loads of stuff around and then the queen just smells tons and tons of males and then goes down and then they mate that way. Uh, and another way is by kind of chasing after a female. So they'll see one in flight and they'll chase after the female. Um, and even though their eyesight is kind of good for insects, it's not quite that good. And so if they <laughs> see something which is 
small looking but actually is far away yeah. and is flying, then they can sometimes, according to this newsletter, mistake it for an aeroplane. Wow. Do we know how far they get towards the plane before <laughs> yes. they realise their mistake and then they have to casually turn around <laughs> as though they weren't chasing? You mean like when you're trying to get onto a tube train and it goes away and you pretend you weren't bothered getting Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or do they think that there's just certain female bees out there or male bees that are extremely fast? Like, man, <laughs> He was like President Usain Bolton, <laughs> the bees. Um, no, it didn't go that far into um, the psychology of the bee. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, that makes more sense that it's at a distance, though. Yeah. I sort of can forgive the bee slightly. Yeah. I think a plane looks like a bee from far away. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, just one more thing on the colours that bees can see. They can't really see red. Um, but they can see things in, that are further in the spectrum, so they can see like ultraviolet. Um, they can mm. see a little bit of yellow and orange. Uh, they can see blue. They can see violet. And they can see another color, which I saw on a website was called bee purple. Mm. And bee purple is a color that we can't see, oh. which is like a combination of yellow and ultraviolet. Really? Wow. That's, That's really so cool. cool isn't it? Yeah. How, we, how do we know they can see it? Have, we, <laughs> have they done paintings and there's just these big blank spots? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think you can, if you know the wavelength that something gives off, you can know that there is a color there, even if you can't see it. Yeah, I okay. suppose that must So be they it. can tell that it's a sort of purpley-ish in the spectrum yeah. area. Okay. That's so cool. Yeah. I don't think you could mix normal colors with ultraviolet as well. I, I guess it's think a spectrum. That, but it makes sense that you can, doesn't it? Yeah. I don't know. Would it makes <laughs> me think that as you mixed it, the color would gradually disappear because we can't see stuff in the ultraviolet yeah. spectrum. So it would start. Wow. It would be like putting an invisibility cloak on. Manufacturers of invisibility cloaks should take note. I imagine that it doesn't quite work like that. Yeah, <laughs> no, I think ha. this is absolutely right. See, I'm not the only one to get slammed for my Harry Potter references <laughs> not being right. Do we know if there's anything in our day-to-day -day life that is actually that be purple, but we obviously just see it as purple? Well, there are plants which have colours that if you shine a UV light on them, you can see that they glow in a certain way uh -huh. um, that you can't see as humans, um, but bees presumably can see because they point towards the centre of the plant. So they're pointing the bee to the centre of the plant, but if you or I were to look at it, we would never see those arrows. Okay. But we would see it as a different colour. We wouldn't see it as nothing. Yes, exactly. Would just, yeah, yeah, it wouldn't yeah. be invisible. Yeah. You know that bees aren't the only things that make honey. I did not know this. No, really? Um, wasps. No. Some wasps make honey. Do they? Yeah. Um, there's a particular uh, species of it called the Brachygastra mellificata. Uh, and apparently you can even eat that wasp's honey. But I don't think it's farmed because it's quite hard to mm. breed wasps. I, I don't know why it's not farmed. A single pound of clover honey requires 8.7 million flowers to be Whoa. manufactured. 8.7 million flowers for one pound of uh, clover oh my honey. God, I go through so much honey. That's terrible. A lot of flowers. I mean, the flowers meadow. can do multiple multiple pollinations. It's all right. Oh, okay. Have you guys heard about? And I only realised as we were about to start recording that actually this article's from 2015. So potentially this already now exists. But um, the highway for bees in Norway. Mm. No. Mm -hmm. In Oslo in Norway, um, they want to make life better for bees basically, and they have a lot of green spaces. And the idea is that they want to create networks so that the bees can go between the green spaces 
through sort of like alleyways that are created in buildings and between buildings and so on. In that is, buildings? Yeah, so like literally tunnels. Not in, inside, but it's like, yeah, like, like trying to get in the lift. Well, no, imagine <laughs> in this room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They would have their I'll own get lift. The next lift. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what? they just, it's like tunnels and so on, and the, the bees can travel and find their way to the next green place that they're going to. I think it might be that, but I thought it would be like, like rooftop gardens and stuff rather yes. than actually inside the building. Yeah, I probably made that up. Well, they put signposts on rooftops saying, bees, you're allowed to fly over this. No, what they do is that <laughs> bees are in one place, they might want to go to another place, and they just make sure there's a corridor of green spaces where they can go. So yeah. they put green on the rooftops? Yeah. And flowers that they like and things yeah. like this. Because you can make your garden really bee-friendly. There are all these specific flowers that you can grow, and you'll guarantee bees. And London is basically covered in bees. <laughs> it's true basically Bas- yeah when you say basically you mean not so many rooftops do you mean um, the hip- hipster beehives in shoreditch no i mean the about? royal festival hall has a beehive on oh, top yeah. of it harrods has a beehive on top of it and there's a there's one specific london beekeeper who goes to all of these different places and is he does he do parkour <laughs> just <laughs> jump from one to the other yeah. but it is a problem because it's really fashionable to have a beehive and it's really cool but what they haven't done is planted 8.7 million flowers so you get exhausted beehives and they haven't got any, haven't got enough yeah. flowers and plants to pollinate. So what you should actually do is plant a wildflower meadow because that's not as sexy as getting a load of bees off the internet. That's true. Um, if you do have a garden, but not many people do have gardens in London, but if you do have true. them, you should plant lots of flowers, shouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Did you know there's such a thing as a bee beautician? <laughs> no. A bee beautician. Yeah. <laughs> so her job is to brush bees' hair, uh, <laughs> to wash them with shampoo. So bees are, no. when specimens are collected, then they're preserved in ethanol, and that makes them kind of soggy and slimy, and she has to prepare them to be fit for display. So she's got, she's concocted special bee shampoo, and then she dunks it in the bee shampoo, and then she hangs it out, so she inserts a tiny, tiny pin, I think, at the hinge of one of its legs, um, and then she's created a blow dryer for what? bees. No. Yeah, so she at first tried actual blow dryers, but she found that they were too violent, so it used to... <laughs> She's <laughs> got the le- little legs left in the clamp for the rest of the bee. <laughs> she does say so. It used to blow their limbs off, and then she'd have to glue the limbs oh, back on, which what? is a whole other glue process. the limbs back on. Yeah, but she did say something interesting about bees, which is that they have lots of split ends, and so that's why she has to use a special shampoo. Uh, it's because they get very clumpy and frizzy when they what get wet. What is this shampoo? Just. Uh, it's uh, it's a, a mixture of <laughs> I can't remember. I think it's like a mixture of water and sodium bicarbonate or something. Okay. But wasps don't have split ends. Do they? Not? So if you don't want frizzy hair, be a wasp. It's a bit late for me, really. <laughs> yeah. <you're right. laughs> okay. It is time for fact number three, and that is Andrew Hunter Murray. My fact is that running a leaf blower for 30 minutes creates more emissions than driving a pickup truck 3,800 miles. No way. That That's, is incredible. Yeah. It does sound unbelievably untrue, doesn't it? it yeah. Does. Um, I'm following the words of James Fallows, who's a correspondent at The Atlantic, which is a very okay. reputable magazine. Uh, and he has a campaign against these things. Wow. Uh, well, I guess if you were pro them, you wouldn't uh, work out the emissions. What he says is that uh, about a third of the petrol they use, because uh, they use petrol or gas in America, uh, is vomited out in aerosol form, right? And that gets mixed in with like tiny particles of oil in the exhaust, in the droplets. Uh, so he has calculated that, which, if true, means that you could drive from Covent Garden to Jerusalem. 
Wow. Yeah. I think they compared it to a particular type of pickup, didn't they? Sorry, yeah, F-150. Maybe it's an unbelievably clean... I think clean. it is. Oh, okay. I think it is an extremely efficient one. Ah. Uh, but it's still good. I mean, it's still amazing. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought the F-150 was a model of Casio watch. Is it not? That's the F91W. Great. Yeah. Anyway. So is he suggesting we all try and clear our leaves with pickup trucks? Because I think it's <laughs> a lot harder. If you use the F-150 and you can blow it in the right way, I guess you, I guess you could save technically on emissions. You could. Got imagine. the exhaust pipe pointed the right direction. Imagine trying to dry a bee with the leaf blower. <laughs> <laughs> there were legs everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, people really hate these things. Yeah, Leaf they're blowers. horrible. Yeah. I think they make the most disgusting noise and they should do all they? be banned. I genuinely do think that. They're very, very, very loud. And I think they're unnecessary. Just rake your bloody garden, guys. That's, it must be easier to blow it than rake it, though. Also, you're, so, you're blowing it into someone else's spot, aren't you? Aren't you? Or no. do you blow it into a pile? I think you blow it into a pile. Blow it into a pile, okay. I've got leaves all over my bloody garden at the moment. I would kill for a blower. Your garden's small. <laughs> yeah, I don't mean to be rude. <laughs> <laughs> That, well, that is quite rude. It's but em- it's, but it, all I'm saying is it's eminently rakeable. You're, like, you couldn't fit a pickup truck in your garden. I think uh, kill for a blower is the most <laughs> rude thing in that sentence by a long mile. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, yeah, but I can see that they are. I think my neighbours have got one. They are pretty loud. I'm you like, would, yeah. If your neighbours have got one, you will definitely know about well, it. Well, there is a big loud noise coming from my neighbours every now and then in the autumn. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. You don't want to pry. Well, it could be that. It sounds a bit like an aeroplane taking off. Is that what they sound like? They s- uh, yeah, they, they Unless do. do they have an airstrip in their garden? <laughs> they do, yes. <laughs> oh, no, it's oh. a bee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. In California, there are 20 cities that have banned... Um, wow. Wow. Yeah, there's, I was reading an article by the Kendall family, who are from California, are in a state that they where they want to get it banned and they were pointing out that the reason it's so annoying and this definitely does ring true is that compared to a lawnmower which can be as loud but operates at the same kind of frequency and volume the whole time leaf blowers really go up and down don't they so you can't predict it so you're constantly being shocked by its volume increases and decreases that's very interesting that's what stresses you out how long have we had leaf blowers by the way does anyone know since about the 50s or 60s yeah 50s except in Japan in the 19th century we know that they used like bellows that you use for a fire as leaf blowers ah, they? I, I uh, yeah I haven't seen a photo of the bellows I tried to find one and I couldn't find a picture of Japanese ancient leaf blowing bellows no but there is an early book but the mm. 1950s reference is weird if anyone can tell us if this is true Wikipedia claims and this is from a book called everything you ever needed to know about leaf blowers so you would have thought <laughs> this would be the authority on it but this claims it was invented by a guy called Dom Quinto who originally designed it in the 1950s as an agricultural sprayer and but people were taking out the spraying device and just using it to blow their leaves right. and it evolved. but can't, there's no evidence aside from this book that this Dom Quinto chap ever existed so if you are him or get his offspring contact. get in touch do you know who invented the rake no, no. We, <laughs> is it Mike Rake <laughs> no it's not Mike Rake I mean these are always a bit dubious aren't they but apparently the steel rake which is kind of a bit springy and the the modern day one that's good for raking stuff with um, was invented (laughs) by a guy called Chester Greenwood who also supposedly invented earmuffs 
Really? <laughs> Apparently. Wow. And he's quite famous in North America. In Maine, that, uh, there's a certain town where every year they have a celebration of his inventing. <laughs> what, do, what do they do? They put on a load of earmuffs and go around breaking yeah. stuff up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to drown out the noise of the leaf blowers <laughs> that they're trying to <laughs> protest against. They kind of do that, I think. They kind of Whoa. wear earmuffs. They have an earmuff parade and stuff. Earmuff <laughs> <laughs> parade? I think they don't, really, they don't really bother about the rake part of it that much. They're more bothered about the earmuffs because he was quite young when he invented them. He was like, Seven, uh, 16 or 17 or something. I thought it was, th- thought it was 13. 30, yeah, it could be. Could be. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Maine sounds like a very exciting place to live, doesn't it? If that's their highlight of the year. Well, the thing is, it's cold and they have a lot of trees. So earmuffs and rakes are the mm. kind of things you might invent if you live there. And yeah. they have every major horror story that we know of in popular culture set there through Stephen King because he lives in Bangor, Maine. So It, the clown, is from Maine. and Okay, you can't credit an entire state for one person <laughs> that it's produced. <laughs> <laughs> no, but well done, Maine. There is a cool thing you can do with leaf blowers, which is turn them into a hovercraft. Can you? Yeah. Ah, okay. there, there's a very cool video online of a Texan man called Ryan Craven. So shout out to Texas who created Ryan Craven, <laughs> um, <laughs> who has strapped sort of four of them together into a kind of platform and he puts the skateboard across the platform. And it hovers very, very low off the ground, but it does hover. You know, on Fallen Leaves, um, I was actually looking at this Forkers in the TV show we did this week. No such things as news. Um, we were talking about Chernobyl. Is that still available on iPlayer? I think it might be, yeah. And actually, if you're international, it's on YouTube. Is it? Mm. But that's besides the point, But James. how would you find that? Oh, you go to no such thing as the news.com. Okay. Thanks for asking. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we recorded a TV show this week and we Smooth. mentioned Chernobyl. <laughs> <laughs> and leaves in Chernobyl don't decompose because the radioactivity means that the bacteria are no longer there, can no longer survive. So they can't decompose the leaves. And so there aren't, you know, that it's missing this fungus and the worms and um, the microbes and stuff like that. And so it's just building up this huge floor of dead leaves. And at the moment, if a forest fire started, which can happen at certain temperatures, it would be a complete disaster and would oh, spread radiation. Yeah. Oh. Much, much further and wider God. than it is already because it would just catch fire to all these dry, dead leaves yeah. that are on the ground. Wow. That's like in Australia, um, a sort of Aussie non-nuclear version of that is the eucalyptus tree because their uh, leaves, when they drop off the tree, they have a kind of uh, sort of what's called like a toxic napalm thing about them in that they're too hard to break down for all the insects and animals. So they sit there dry as hell. And if a forest fire starts and it hits a eucalyptus patch that will just go massively up in flames. It's oh, just sitting there really? waiting to be caught on fire. And this must be because a eucalyptus tree is one of the trees that love being set on fire because yes. that's how they spread their seeds. Yes, they love to be set on fire. They sort of have <laughs> an inner tree waiting to break out of the bigger tree and uh, forest fires is what brings I, that to I happen. I think they're pretty much ambivalent about the whole thing, really. <laughs> do, do you but think they don't even know their trees? Yeah. <laughs> in 2011, someone patented a glove rake which uh, is really cool. It's a normal glove, except it's got these five long, you look a bit like Edward Scissorhands, except we are able to rake hands. <laughs> and you can just go around raking stuff up well, with you your bare hands. You have to be on your hands and knees. You would have to be on your hands and knees. That's not yeah. going to be nice. I mean, because it's the middle of autumn. Yeah. It's going to yeah. be damp. Edward rake hands, by the way, would have been really useful in that scene where Edward Scissorhands cuts all the hedges. <laughs> <laughs> he could have been on the side cleaning up. But then what? Edward Big Bag Hands comes along. <laughs> Guys, why are we all called Edward? <laughs> We're not related. We've got different surnames. <laughs> They've all got the surname Hans. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wait, is it a double barrel surname? Sorry, yeah, so um, one of them married Mrs. Scissor. Yeah. And then one of them married Mrs. Rake. 
Well, I've um, never noticed before the moment where we come up with the title of an episode. But I think no such thing as Edward Bin Bag Hands. <laughs> Okay, it is time to move on to our final fact of the show, and that is Chazinski. Yes, my fact is that early humans had spiky penises. <laughs> that is insane. How early? I, I actually couldn't believe it. Just About a couple of weeks 6:30 ago. 6.30 this morning. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, this was a study, a study on human genes that was done in 2011. And it found that about 700,000 years ago, so um, before our common ancestors split into modern humans and Neanderthals, then we have the gene that carries penis spines. And then that gene seems to have been deleted mm. when we evolved into what modern humans today. Um, but lots of other, like mo- almost all other primates still have penis spines. And do they? Wow. Yeah, they do, except for spider monkeys, I think. All primates have penis spines. And what, what do the spines feel like? As in... <laughs> <laughs> If I if I if I gripped a chimp's penis, would I would I be cut arrested? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> would I cut my hands? Would my, the palms of my hands be sliced? The ones on primates, I think, are more bumpy. Some some animals have really spiky spines, like cats. I think do, but I think they're more like lumps, a little slightly blunt spike. You've okay. never seen the film Edward Scissorpenis, have you? <laughs> So just to go into quickly the reason that um, we might, well, that men might have had spiky penises in the past, we're not totally sure about it, but we think it might be because um, what it can do is it can help clear out rival sperm from Mm. a female vagina. So uh, if you get the spikes in, then as it's sort of retracting, they scrape the edge of a vagina and they'll bring out any sperm that's been left in there by someone else and they can break through a little sperm sack and break it open to make the sperm That's true of some animals, isn't it? I think... um I think dragonflies have like spade-shaped penises that they do yeah. that with. It must be really hard to study the evolution of human penises um, because the no, lack of bone means no bone. that how can yeah. you how can you you just there's nothing. So ironic. All well, boner, no bone. All boner, no <laughs> bone. <laughs> That's <laughs> That's Sounds like you've said that a few times. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to change my um, strapline on a lot of dating sites now. <laughs> <laughs> we might have had a bone. I must stop saying we in reference to (laughs) our penises. Men might have had a bone. We don't know. But um, other primates do have a penile bone, I think, don't they? And it has a lot of advantages having a bone there because it means you can push it out much quicker than having to wait for the blood to engorge it. (laughs) It just flip right out and it can stay out for longer. Um, And uh, I think Richard Dawkins is... Richard Dawkins, in The Selfish Gene, wrote that the advantage of humans not having this is that it having to get blood flowing in there shows that you've got like a healthy blood flow, Shows is, is kind of a sign of good health. So women are more attracted to it. So that might be why we've men have evolved to okay. have penises without the bone, because it's harder to get it blown up. I've heard, so uh, in place of the bone, there is a new thing that they're tres- testing out, which is a metal rod. So some men could now have a metal rod inside yeah. their penis. And the idea is for, it's done, do you remember where it's done, Andy? In <laughs> hospitals mostly. But, uh, <laughs> If, if it's being offered to you in a bar, you should be very careful. <laughs> so the idea is that this is for people suffering from erectile dysfunction. And if uh, they've gone through various courses, they're going to then say on health services or whatever, they will say you can have this. And the idea is that it's a little metal rod inside. But when you want an erection, you can press a button like a remote control and it preheats this metal bar to a heat point where it expands within you. You are never going to get on a flight, are you? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, that's just not, it's just not going to happen. That's true. Every single time yeah. you're going to set it off, they're going to get that paddle thing. You're going to yeah. go up and down your body and get yeah. to the get to the rod yeah what and you think you just go never mind i'm going home doesn't yeah. matter i think that would happen yeah yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing is you can get a bit of cartilage put in that if you have erectile problems and then you have to just kind of maneuver the penis into position so it's kind of permanently erect from that point oh, and that's really? in uh, mary roach's book bonk which is about science and sex and it's it's an amazing book oh it's an incredible book yeah so this is partly about how um males of various species manage to get rid of competition because the spines are often used to scrape um to scrape other sperm out of the vagina yeah and so i was looking at other ways that you get rid of the competition and one is that in mice sperm club together as a group to beat rival sperm it's exactly like like west side sorry <laughs> <laughs> yeah the jets and the sperms <laughs> It's exactly like in a cycling race, which James will know more about, yep. where um, they move faster if they move as a group. So oh, they can tell yeah. ah. if they're the sperm that belong to the same person and all the sperm that belong to that person get together and all the sperm that belong to another person get together. This is in these mice inside this female mouse. Yeah. And so they, as a group, they move much faster than they do individually. What's that called? It's like the Pel updraft. Peloton. Peloton effect. It's a peloton. It's the peloton of sperm. Yeah. Wow. And then when they get near the finish line, suddenly they all start competing Someone breaks away. Yeah. And then the Mark Cavendish sperm wins. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. So they're just programmed. It will be smell or no? What is it? What is it? What? How do they know this? How can they? How tell can they group to know together? They're just a cell. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, well, cells can be programmed to do things. Uh, so I imagine it must be that it's inside the DNA of the cell mm. um, that has instructions of what it should do. Uh, it makes the mm. makes the tails wag. Yeah. You're and right also, though, if they have their specific rendition of "Keep Cool" from West Side Story, <laughs> then they can tell. And Which is the best song to sing for a sperm. Because yes. you do need to keep lower than the ambient temperature of the body. Yeah, it's weird that they weren't the lyrics in the original West Side Story, actually. Okay, that is it. That is all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we have said over the course of this podcast, we can be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland. James. At Ed Shakes. Andy. At Andrew Hunter M. Chazinski. You can email podcast at qi.com. Yep, or you can go to our group Twitter account, which is at qi podcast, or go to no such thing as a fish.com that has all of our previous episodes. Also, you can go to no such thing as the news.com, which has all of the episodes from our recent TV series in which we dissect the most interesting news from the last seven days. All right, that's it, guys. We will be back again next week with another episode. Goodbye. <laughs>